Sports Talk New York with your hosts, Mark Rosenman and A.J. Carter. Sports Talk New York is sponsored in part by Prince Associates for all your insurance needs, the Phoenix Tube Company, the law firm of Declator Cohen and DePrisco, Solomon Jewelers, and General Needs Charity, serving our homeless veterans with dignity. And now, here are your hosts, Mark and A.J. Joining us now is a man who is considered by many the greatest all-around athlete in Connecticut history. He was an all-state player in football, baseball, and track and field in high school and is the only three-time all-state football player in Connecticut history. Los Angeles Dodgers drafted him number five overall in the 1968 Major League Draft. He would go on to play 10 years for Dodgers, California Angels, New York Mets, and Seattle Mariners and manage another 16 with the Texas Rangers, New York Mets, which included a trip to the World Series, and the Boston Red Sox. He is currently the athletic director at Sacred Heart University. It is always a pleasure to welcome the man known affectionately as Bobby V, Bobby Valentine, to 540 AM Sports Talk New York. Welcome, Bobby. Okay, thank you, and a wonderful introduction. I appreciate that. Uh, that there was a little gapage there, uh, seven years of managing in Japan. Dad, yeah. We'll leave that out because <laughs> it didn't really count. <laughs> uh, good, good to be with you. Yeah, and talking about a great guy, uh, Sorry that he's gone, but we'll always live on. Absolutely, and I really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to join us to talk about the passing this past week of an original Met as well as a longtime instructor, Al Jackson. Uh, those who had the opportunity to meet him know what a special man he was. An indication of that is that in the 2018 Mets Media Guide, it states, no one exemplifies the Mets organization more than Al Jackson. When was the first time you met Al, and what was your first impression of him? Well, uh, you know, I really don't remember the first time I met him. Uh, I'm sorry about that. But uh, I, I know that it was a lasting in, uh, impression every time I was with Al of his um, caring smile. Uh, he, was, he was a guy who, who was there for you. He, he uh, would lo- love to tell a little joke, would love to laugh, would love to be with the group. And um, as I said, he... He was a guy who cared about other people and, and didn't care what other people thought about him. You know, it's interesting because he's also credited with setting the strong foundations of many of the 1986 Mets pitching staff's success as he was Davey Johnson's um, AAA Tidewater pitching coach. You saw a lot of those guys he worked with come up to the majors as part of both George Bamberger, Frank Howard, and Davey's coaching staffs. What did you notice about how well those pitchers were prepared when they arrived at the majors, and what influence did you think Al had on that? Well, I think he had a settling effect. He never let um, things get too big. He put things in the proper perspective so that guys could uh, live within within their own skills. And uh, you know, he was he was a major leaguer, true and true. But he could reach down into the rookie ball and and teach one on one to an eighteen year old. He could go into the Dominican Republic and and without language skills, be able to uh, teach and, and inspire um, uh, young Dominican players, Puerto Rican players, Venezuelan players. Al Jackson was just uh, a, a simpatico guy. He, he understood the other side, and he wanted the other side to, to always get better. You know, it's interesting because there's a little bit of a parallel to what happened on June 6, 1999. Your New York Mets at that point sat at 27-28 and 28 and had endured eight straight losses, including two against the Yankees. At that point, GM Steve Phillips 
fired the batting coach Tom Robson, pitching coach Bob Apodaca, and bullpen coach Randy Neiman, replacing them with Mickey Brantley, Dave Wallace, and Al Jackson. The Mets did something similar this year, replacing Dave Island and their bullpen coach with you know, Phil Reagan and um, Ricky Bonus coming back. As a manager, initially, when a GM does something like that, What's your first thought, and then when it's a person of Al Jackson's stature, does that ease the initial, you know, I would imagine there's a little bit of conflict there when that happens. Yeah, I know uh, it's a tough question, (laughs) but Al and I uh, knew each other for years. As a matter of fact, I I might have been in my first major league game in 69, and it might have been a game when Al was – uh, on the mound, I, I can't really remember, but uh, you know things go back a long ways with Al. When he became a member of my my bullpen staff, replaced Randy Neiman as spectacular friend. Because that was just and I knew so much about him from the past. So how did he adapt to the role in the bullpen? As I remember him telling me that he was shocked that he got the job because he said he was basically in Binghamton in a hotel room watching a Knicks-Pacers game when he got the call because he was working with the double-A team and he never imagined he was going to be there. How did he quickly get up and, and you know to speed to help those pitchers? Well, again, I can't speak for uh, how Al did what he did. I just know that when he was in a baseball uniform, when he was watching a baseball game, when he was with a, a young person who's uh, trying to be good at pitching, he, he always was um, a, a value a value added. He, he was the guy you wanted around when things were tough, and he, he's the guy you wanted around when things were not because, uh, you know, he had a light side to him that um, uh, always made the day a little better. Always had a smile. One of the players from your 2000 National League Championship that gives Al so much credit is Al Leiter. Uh, Al actually lowered his ERA a full run from 99 to 2000. What effect do you think Al had on some of the veteran pitches? You mentioned how he was, you know, a calming effect on the young pitchers and, and his, you know, his demeanor and everything helped them. But guys that are veterans sometimes don't want to take advice. They, they've been there. They, they've heard so many different voices. What effect do you think he had on that pitching staff for you in 2000? Well, I was there, so um, he obviously had a positive effect because there's a very good staff. Um, You know, I I can't really tell you uh, all all the specifics of, you know, what Al said, did, (laughs) or taught during those days. All I can tell you that he was ever-present. He was there if he was needed, and uh, when, when someone reached out, he always he always had the right warm smile and, and very often the, the best baseball answer you could get. Lastly, do you have a, a favorite Al Jackson moment or an Al Jackson story that you could relate for us? Oh, I, I know asking a question like that and pulling it out of the air is a little <laughs> tough, tough for me. Um, but, again, it was just – you know, every day was a, was a great day. Smiling when Al was in uniform, he really loved the uniform. He loved being part of uh, uh, of a baseball game, a baseball team, and a baseball organization. 
and that love was easy to see. So uh, he'll be missed. He'll be without a doubt, and also be remembered because um, he he had a way about him that uh, separated him from from the rest. Absolutely, and when you looked at him, you thought he was a man in his 30s. The guy still looked like he'd go out on the mound, and that smile would light up a room. Bobby, thank you so much for, for spending some time with us tonight because we really want to remember one of uh, baseball's great ambassadors, and it's always tough. I mean, this year you lost another good friend of yours, also Bill Buckner, who was a roommate of yours in, in college and a teammate. So it's always tough when we lose some of the, the great ambassadors of the game, and we re- really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us tonight. Good job uh, on your part. Um, thanks for reaching out. And, uh, again, uh, my, my heart goes out to Al's family, wonderful family that they are, and he will truly be missed. Thank you so much, Bobby. We appreciate it. The great Bobby V, former manager of the New York Mets, as he mentioned, also Japan, the Boston Red Sox. Um, a great figure in, in New York sports. And it's also interesting, you know, Bobby V, we talk about you know, the great season that Pete Alonso's having home run-wise. Bobby V was traded for one of the great home run hitters in Met history, and Bobby, Val- and Bobby Valentine was traded for Dave Kingman. That's how you know, Bobby became a member of the Mets. Um, this, we're, we're now going to hear from Al Jackson himself. This was an interview I did with Al at Met Fantasy Camp. Um, I had spent a couple of years with him down there, got to know him, and it's interesting because at Met Fantasy Camp, a lot of the guys, the pitchers, the young pitchers that he had, had sent up through the, you know, the, up to the majors, Doc Gooden, Eric Hillman, and Pete Shurik were in camp. And he always looked at them. You, you could tell the pride whenever he looked. It was almost like a father looking at his sons. So this is Al Jackson from Met Fantasy Camp talking about a, a whole range of things. And when we come back, I'm going to tell you a little story about something he says in the interview. So this is Al Jackson from, I, I think it's four years ago. Good. All right, we're here at Met Fantasy Camp with Al Jackson. Al, you're here, and the beauty of you being here is pretty much your entire pitching staff, guys that you saw, that you worked with in the minors, that made it to the majors a year. When you see, you know, Shark, Hillman, and A.Y. all these years later, and knowing what they were like as young pitchers and seeing them giving back to the game, how does that make you feel? Real old. (laughs) (laughs) It's a joy, you know, because I saw them as young men, and, uh, and I've seen the growth of them to where they are now. And I think that's the most enjoyment that a guy can have. Now, of all the guys you've worked with in, in various organizations as pitching coach, who is the one guy that you saw have raw talent, but then you've helped to develop? There's, there's raw talent and there's the actual art of pitching. Who's the guy that went the furthest from just the raw talent and then making himself a quote-unquote pitcher? Well, let me see. Let me just think about it because I was just thinking the opposite. And Dwight Gooden is the opposite. You know, he came in as a 17, 18-year-old kid and seemed like he had been pitching for 40 years. You know, one of those kind of things. And uh, the rest of them was fairly close to that, but not to his measurements. There's certain things they have to learn. I think this is because the ability was there. You can't take a guy. I've never had a guy that... Throw 90 and then go to 120. I didn't ever had that, you know, really, because I didn't think it was that important. You know, my my methods in terms of coaching is teaching a guy who he is and what he has and how to use it. You know, so I think that to me that was the best way to do it. Now, so many of the new age pitching coaches 
really work on mechanics, you know, and, you know, same arm slot and, and, and such. But back in the day, you had guys, you know, you look at Louis Keon, you look at Juan Marichal, you look at these guys, they were mechanical nightmares, but yet they didn't get injured, okay, and they were effective pitchers. What do you, you know, do you think it's long for like pitching coaches to try to make almost like cookie cutter deliveries? Well, it, a young pitcher has to find basically his delivery. You know, now you can fine tune it to his liking. You know, because he has to do it. You know, one of those sort of things. You try to smooth him out so he won't hurt himself. These, you're never going to be perfect, but you know, you can't just change the guy. So you got to do it this way. You got to do it this way. You know, a lot of guys don't even know what they're doing. So you teach him about that delivery, you know, and the healthy way to do it, and have to go through that. And what about pitch counts? I mean, you you pitched in, in one game. How many? What was the the most innings you pitched in one game? Fifteen innings. Right. Fifteen innings. Yeah. I threw 162 pitches. And I was I was a guy that uh, early I was very wild. You know, because of my mechanics. You know, when I was probably this is where I, I got this from because I know I was that same way. But uh, I learned how to throw a strike my way. I had to make some adjustments, you know, one of those hard things, and train hard to do it, you know, one of those hard things. And my whole method was I'd take a young kid and have him throw the ball down the way on the right-hand hitter or down the way on the left-hand hitter, but you must do it in 30 pitches. Once you start to be consistent throwing in that one spot, you will learn how to do it. A lot of guys don't know how, you know, so you must learn how to do things, and that makes it easy for yourself. And are you a big proponent of limiting pitch counts, like what, what the Nationals did with Steven Strasburg? Granted, he was coming off of an injury, but you know, do you think that pitchers should be capped at you know when they get near that hundred pitch mark that that's it, no matter where it is in the score, that that's the limit you have to pull them in the start? Well, just like I said, you must train in how to throw strikes. These people that you're talking about, they throw a lot of balls. They abuse themselves. You know, really want those sort of things. No, no. We learn how to throw strikes. The whole thought process is not sound because they think they can strike people out. You cannot strike a hitter out. The hitter strikes himself out. All you can do is execute a pitch. If you had that idea, then there wouldn't be so many problems. You don't use extra pitches on those sort of things. But see, today they're throwers. Everybody want to throw the ball 95 to 100. You know, even the scouts and the, the, the owners, you know, the managers, and look, they're looking for some power. A lot of people can't do it. That's why so many pitches are thrown. Because it's a lot of balls and ball one, ball two, and a lot of walks. You only abuse yourself. You know. Who was the one guy during your career that was on one of your pitching staffs that just had the absolute best stuff that you've ever seen? I've been with two. Bob Gibson and, uh, and Seaton. They were solid. They were solid. Sometimes they use, which happens to all power pitchers, they use a lot of pitchers to do it because they can do it. You know, they were built that way, they were strong enough to do it, but then you see them on some pitchers, they throw less than guys that throw 70 miles an hour because they were really on. You know, but, and one thing about it, a lot of times you use it, but you must have a desire to win the game. You won't be there until you win. 
really want to solve it, and you'll do anything it takes. You know, I think that 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 method is sound for me. You know, really, if I'm in the eighth inning or ninth inning and they got a one a one run lead and you know maybe one down, I want to stay out there. I want to stay there until I can win. It happened to me one time uh, in St. Louis. I was with St. Louis at the time, and I'm in the ninth inning, top of the ninth. And uh, I got a one-run lead. I got a man at third, and I got a man at first. And now here comes the manager. He really comes to take me out of the game. You know, this is Shane Deese at the time? Shane Deese, yes. And he said, well, left-hand, I'll come and get you some help. I said, not tonight. This is my game. I'm the best pitcher you have to get a ground ball. Striking this guy out doesn't make any sense. It's one out. Got a man in third, got a man in second at, at first. But I know I can, throw, I can get a ground ball. I don't care who's, pick, who's hitting. Dick Allen was the hitter. And the reason that's why he wanted to take me because Dick Allen's a good hitter in the right hand. I'm left handed. Didn't make me any difference. I knew I could throw a ground ball. That was my game. And? And he did. He had a slow ground ball to the third baseman. We went for the double play, but he beat it out at first. Tied the game up. I get the next man out. The first guy came to the plate. Hits a ball in the home. Or hits a home run. Miss Jackson's son wins the game. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. You got to have a desire to be there. You know. And, and then just bringing it back to fantasy camp now, and not the, the coaches, but the actual kids, the campers that come down here to play. When you see the just pure love of the game. You know, by these guys paying a lot of money to come down to play all these games, but when they're out on the field, you know, guys only here for a few days, but you know, coming together as a team. What does that tell you about the game of baseball itself? It's a boys game. That's the that's the phrase I use. You know, really, it's a boys game. It's hard not to love this game. You know, it's hard for a lot of guys to play football. Hard how to play basketball, but it's very easy to enjoy baseball. As a kid, and it's all start that way, you know, really. And as you grow, you don't lose that love of baseball. You see these guys here, regardless of their age, and that they are limited in playing, but they love this game. That's, that's, that doesn't stop with them, it's everything. And then lastly, you know, a lot of it has been made this week because of the Hall of Fame voting and the fact that no one's made it to the Hall of Fame, no one was voted in. Um, a, a lot of people will argue that back in the 60s, you know, players used greenies and amphetamines, so there's no difference. There's always been some level of cheating in baseball. Do you agree with that? And do you think that the guys that took performance-enhancing drugs should or should not be in the Hall of Fame? Well, that's a tough question. I love this game, you know, and you want to do your best. You want to do your best. That's an individual thing. Who am I to say? Who am I to say? I didn't take that chance, but the guy that does, he's taking his own chance. So now that's what it is. You leave it up. You get caught, you get burned. You don't really want those sort of things. So then, you know, but when I'm saying, wait, oh, oh, these guys shouldn't do that, shouldn't do that. No, not so much should they do it, but the guys that got caught cheating, do they have a right to be in the Hall of Fame? The, 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 the 
did the cheating help him to be the player that he was? Do you really believe that? We don't, re- we, don't we don't really know. Don't See, know. this that's is what right. I'm saying. That's, so that's so what why, makes it so right. I, why, how can I say, well, this is, no, 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 no. Nobody's proven to me, you know, I have, you know. There's no have, way of proving it because you don't know what right. he would have been without it. Right. Why should I say, oh, this is, this is, no, this can't be. I don't have that power to do that. Fair enough. That's how some way I can see it, you know, really. Uh, great stuff from Al Jackson. What I did want to talk about before we go to commercial break is that in him recounting that two to one game where Richie Allen came up, you know, sometimes you, you think that, you know, over the years things change and, and, and stories get embellished. I went and checked on baseballreference.com and he was dead on with what happened. Um, Richie Allen did hit a ground ball, double play ball. It was an error. Not, Richie didn't beat it out. And the Cardinals did come back and win the next inning on a walk off home run. And he was 100% right.